and welcome to this Expert Insights CD. I'm Donna Hansen. Our Expert Insights CD series is designed to give professionals access to the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on productivity, performance and achievement both in business and personally. We know that these days it's often hard to find time to step outside your world and explore what's happening in other organisations. Our Expert Insights CDs are designed to provide you with concise information on topics relevant to you on a regular basis in a format that maximises your time and keeps you up to date with current trends. In this Expert Insights CD, we speak with Taryn Dean about productive leadership. But before we do, let me tell you a little bit about Taryn. Taryn Dean is a leadership development specialist. She's determined to reduce the trafficking of leaders. I'm interested to find out a bit more about that. Good people leaving leadership roles, that means. Taryn has an extensive knowledge of emerging trends, the internal politics of organisations and the impact of disunity, the blame game and unrealistic expectations. Taryn is a former national executive of a leading Australian not-for-profit house with no steps with an annual revenue of $55 million during Taryn's service. Taryn has more than 41,000 real-time hours in leadership across finance, training and development, tourism and community engagement. As a leadership development specialist, executive coach and change strategist to high-performing leaders at well-known companies including BHP, Malaysia's Petronias, Australia's high-impact charities Blue Care and Lifeline, along with Griffith University's Business School and the University of Southern Queensland. All this, Taryn still manages to find time to play and ride her gorgeous red Ducati Monster. Hello, Taryn. Hello, Donna Hanson. I love spending time with key people and key influencers just like you. Thanks for having me on board. <laughs> Taryn, why don't you start out by telling our listeners how you came to be a specialist in leadership? Oh, you know, I from an early age, um, I was one of the young people that had a capacity to um, just bring out the best in other people but I hadn't learned how to master my voice and I remember being in the fifth grade and putting my hand up to volunteer on the school fate stall and I was one of the last two remaining uh, people putting my hand up and volunteering and Miss Felton looked at us both and said, mm, do you think you can keep your voice down while you're doing that? And it troubled me and it concerned me and years on I realised it was... Um, both a mix of gift, of natural ability, and also the discipline of going in and developing those leadership skills. So the capacity to motivate and inspire needed some <laughs> humbling and needed some uh, skill development around bringing out the best in people. What did that look like? How, how could I be... Um, emotionally detached to the point where I could be objective and look at all the risks that leadership carried with it. So uh, insofar as your corporate career, 
uh, mm. you know, encompassing the not-for-profit, etc. Mm. How did you come to be in a leadership role? So- yeah, it's, you know, Donna, sometimes I think our careers have a way of choosing us. I never set out to work in the not-for-profit sector. In fact, my first um, 15 years in professionalism involved working in retail banking and education. So I look back on a personal level and I consider the relationships that I had. Uh, A young woman in school had a disability and uh, I found out she passed away in her early 20s and uh, in fact my own sister had been injured in a horse riding accident and had an acquired brain injury and lost her hearing in one side. And so there were certain stepping stones throughout my life that I looked back on. Uh, I looked back on, and realised that I had been engaged with community and bringing out the best in people, and endeavouring to facilitate or reconcile people to maximise their talents. So when I was uh, working in a self-employed capacity as a single parent, I was approached by some women in a, a local church that I'd been attending and they had been running a volunteer organisation and asked me to consider would I help them make the transition from volunteer organisation to a service that had received some uh, government funding. And having spent a lot of years in education and external consulting, I thought, well, this could be something I could do for 12 months. And I ended on up staying there for another six years before um, just making a phone call to investigate what this uh, executive role was at another not-for-profit, which you've mentioned was House With No Steps, which was the trading name of the Wheelchair and Disabled Association of Australia at the time. And um, in just making the phone calls, it ended up that it was really a telephone screening and three phone calls later, I was shortlisted for an interview and that really catapulted me into the intense uh, high corporate environment of not-for-profit leadership because there was also the corporate arm in that space. There's not-for-profit, which is around the delivery of services to people living with a disability uh, in the human services space, but then there was also the commercial arm that brought in revenue to um, circumvent the shortfall between what was government-funded and the real cost of service provision. So I looked back and there was a pathway of opportunity and um, I feel I have a almost like a, a... personal mission or ministry of reconciliation helping people maximize their talent and at the same time that uh, head for business that enables me to combine combine real values driven focus in the workplace with commercial savviness Mm. that that raises an interesting question around not-for-profits and and leadership Mm. Um, and it's an interesting question that I'd like to briefly explore with you. Uh, So Mm. going slightly off track here, um, Mm. leadership in a not-for-profit, you know, my um, experience has has led me to believe, whether it's right or wrong, that in a not-for-profit scenario it can be harder to get good quality workers who will stay with you for the long 
longer term because the remuneration often isn't as um, as um, high as in your traditional corporate roles. So I'm imagining as a result of some of those things that potentially makes leadership in the not-for-profit space potentially harder in, in different ways to a, a corporate environment. Um, yeah, look, there's a, a number of different dynamics there. Certainly individuals that we find are naturally drawn to the not-for-profit sector do so because uh, in the not-for-profit space you might have youth, uh, women at risk, um, disability, aged care, child care, a range of those sort of frontline human services. And often the people that come to those spaces know someone. So their life has somehow been touched by youth or aged care or childhood or disability uh, or crisis, you know, and there are some amazing charities that exist out in the Australian landscape and beyond in international markets. And I think of organisations like Hands Across the Water uh, with founder Peter Baines, who was a former New South Wales uh, policeman, uh, sought uh, his... Uh, legal studies independently he was a forensic policeman he headed up the identification of bodies after the Bali bombing and also went across and headed up Australia's contingency in Thailand after the Boxing Day tsunami and Peter talks very clearly around um, people in the corporate space equally within the not-for-profit sector will follow a cause and they'll follow um, leaders not purely on charisma but on is this an alignment with my personal values are there social responsibilities um, that the corporate organizations are keen to get behind and what we see is typically in the not-for-profit sector they are the front line of corporate social responsibility they're actually doing the delivery and traditional corporates are the ones that will finance it or fund it so when we talk about uh, the challenges for remuneration there in the not-for-profit sector, there are a number of um, approaches that individual not-for-profits will take to leverage the Australian Charities and National um, Commission uh, framework that lets them maximise their tax deductibility and we see that in some high profile churches we see that through salary sacrificing in traditional um, ministry roles we see that in other not-for-profits um, there are certainly concessions that individual organizations may make available and may in fact share the tax savings that would otherwise go to payroll tax um, with their employees and one organization i'm familiar with um, profit shares or not so much profit shares but splits the tax saving rather than passing on the full 100% to the employees. The employees that go and work for that organisation generously have agreed that of that payroll tax component, 50% will go back into the organisation to fund the shortfall or contribute towards the shortfall of the provision of services. So what we see in both not-for-profit and in organizations that are, are doing great work or in fact have been able to engender strong emotional buy-in from their staff on a cultural basis is that the values or guiding principles of both organizations irrespective of sector are so clear that people go 
yes, this is where I want to work or no, this is not where I want to work. There's a clear difference between people staying in a workplace purely for financial gain versus Mm. individuals who get behind a cause and are part of a tribe who feel like they genuinely belong. So I guess in a in a corporate sense, because that's the, the place that a lot of our listeners uh, come from, mm-hmm. um, the lesson to come out of what you've just shared is the fact that um, it, it doesn't matter what type of organisation you're in, uh, in order for somebody to stay, there usually has to be a value connection between the leaders and the um, and the the team members in order mm. to get the best out of each other. Yeah, absolutely. And values uh, need to be something that's more than a statement that goes in the annual report. The values that we find. Uh, resonate most with the leaders that we work with through our executive coaching program and the organisations that employ them are those values that are embedded in the culture. Um, A recent case study with an organisation I've been working with in Queensland uh, has sought to include the values-based behavioural expectations into their position descriptions. Because often we'll find conflict emerges in organisations where people are doing just enough tactically to meet the tasks of a job role, but there may be some subtleties where individuals are uh, finding that they're coming up against some friction. You know that iron sharpens iron, that little bit of that sandpaper. We call it sandpaper ministry. Somebody's just rubbing you the wrong way and giving you an opportunity to develop your character. That might be occurring or there might in fact be uh, those culture vultures that exist in the workplace who are just eroding the feel-good value and ruining it for everybody. And so if organisations like the one I've been working with can include the values-based behaviours, behavioural expectations, it means key leaders can then performance manage not just on task but also on values. And it's empowering. That's great. So, Taryn, we all know an organisation where some leaders are better than others and by better I mean they get um, they get more buy-in from, from their team members. Why do you think some leaders are more productive than others? If we consider production is uh, productivity is more about buy-in, then I'd say there's a couple of key things. Uh, humility plays a big part for successful leaders to get that balance right between boldness and humility, to recognise that the uh, for me as a leader, I am part of a whole The second part is around servant leadership. So humility and servant leadership that I'm actually here to contribute my strengths and also just desiring to look at the the team members that the individual is working with and understand their strengths and their weaknesses so they know the people on their team. They know them and through knowing them, they know, like and trust them. And then fundamentally, they're very good at their job. So they have the capability there. They have competency, clarity, they have confidence and competence. They're commercially savvy. They know about the numbers. They're great communicators. So we often talk about 
facets of a diamond and we look at clarity, we look at um, what is the vision that they're demonstrating, how can we bring out the best in people when the pressure is on and so is there a genuine camaraderie that exists? I think they're the key elements that help good leaders stand out from great managers. Good leaders build a clan, they build a tribe, they build a community, they facilitate change, they're the internal coaches that exist and champions of their staff. But it's difficult for a single leader to be all those things, which is why we work closely to establish leadership cliques, C-L-I-Q-U-E-S, it's a French word that means gathering people around a common interest or goal. So we work very closely with senior executives to help them build a community of other executives so that they have a peer group around them to help support them when they're confronted by problem generators in the workplace. So all those different qualities we spoke about, boldness, humility, servant leadership, believing in, knowing, liking and trusting your colleagues all underpin those elements of clarity and competency and capability and certainty and great communication skills. It's not about knowing everything, but it's about being prepared to be teachable and bring other people on the journey with you. And, and Donna, one important aspect is not shying away from the robust conversations that need to be held to confront inappropriate behaviour in the workplace. So I guess um, what you're saying as well there is is typically the the most productive or effective leaders are those who internally know who they are and what they represent yeah. and aren't afraid to be open, vulnerable and inclusive with, with others, not just, um, you know, colleagues at a similar level but their, um, you know, their their um, uh, people that they work with, their team. Yeah, yeah, their direct reports mm -hmm. and also their immediate colleagues. Are there still executives who, you know, go the old school, um, you know, stick and carrot sort of approach? Oh, I think there's pockets of them. Um, certainly when we work with individuals, we're very clear as a company around the types of behaviour that we expect from our clients as much as what they can expect from us. So the stick and carrot people or, you know, the bat and ball, they're not the clients that we typically see a lot of. So people are drawn to work with us because they have a similar value set and they want to grow their team. So the executives that often call on us may have people like you describe as their downline and the executives are looking for strategies to help bring out the best in those people but our immediate clients are the ones that have grasped or realised that things need to change and so they're open to that. Uh, I think there's also through executive coaching or group coaching models there are also some blind spots that even good people come face to face with through that facilitation and that process none of us are perfect but um, it's interesting when we begin this journey of discovery we begin to find out yeah where those blind spots are mm. 
So Taryn, given we've sort of gone through the attributes of what you might find a productive leader possesses, what do you think are some of the most common missing pieces when it comes to leadership that, you know, if they were included, could help increase uh, a leader's own, their team or their business productivity? It's a really great question. And there are seven key things that I look at uh, and we draw these from our Signature 7 Leadership Framework. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the personal leadership as a category first, the number one thing that we see missing are, are good, solid boundaries. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If that means leaving on time, you need to leave on time. If you've given a commitment uh, to get a report in or get something done and and the deadline's coming up, you need to make sure that you're in touch with that person that's expecting it and get it done. That comes back to the integrity aspect. The number two uh, component that we sometimes find is missing comes under our toolbox leadership category, and that's the lack of awareness of what low-cost, innovative, great tools are available to help ease your stress and enhance your capacity to respond to the urgent. It used to be that the IT departments had this responsibility, but in today's high-level connectivity and access to great resources and bring your own devices, we often see that people can just transform their world with simple tools. Um, a couple of the things that we use that uh, your listeners might be interested in are apps, and one of them is Voxer, V-O-X-E-R. It's a fun tool that helps you communicate almost in a type of walkie-talkie fashion with your colleagues. So let's say you've got team members in remote locations or you need to get something shared to your personal assistant or you're engaging virtual assistants uh, working in remote locations. Voxer is a great tool. It means you can act on those meeting outcomes and get information shared or agenda items actioned as quickly as possible, like a voice dictation tool. Simple, transformed my business life. Wish I knew about it as an executive. Executive. The third thing that I believe is firmly missing is that strong reliance on the strategic plan and operating plans. We'll see leaders become increasingly busy doing the do or responding to the day-to-day needs, but they fail to uphold what is our clear direction for the next 12 to 36 months. And that needs to be the benchmark, that time is set aside each week to track how we're progressing against those lengthier goals. The fourth thing that I believe is missing is the genuine culture at work of enchantment. Guy Kawasaki wrote a brilliant book called Enchantment. It's more than engagement. It's how do we really communicate on a one-to-one or one-to-many basis where we're building strong relationships at work. So how can we enchant, look at building culture in a stronger way where we encourage responsibility of our followers and our direct reports to be part of that solution? Many leaders are burning out because they've failed to hold their direct reports accountable towards contributing to the culture of the workplace. It's not all the boss's fault, nor is it all the leader's responsibility. The fifth piece to this is helping leaders become really comfortable with embracing new ways of speaking and presenting 
whether it's change, whether it's networking events, whether it's board meetings. But follow the latest strategies to help you communicate your message in diverse ways. A recent case study, in fact, with a not-for-profit that was uh, that had recently launched a new strategic plan was how do we help the executives become comfortable with letting their guard down a little bit and Donna feeling more comfortable in front of a smartphone and and filming something with correct branding uh, that still enable them to come across as really vulnerable, transparent and at ease in their skin, not caught up in bureaucracy, but just a quick snapshot. Hi team, here we are at our leadership retreat. We wanted to send out a shout of thanks for your recent completion of the satisfaction survey and let you know we really look forward to processing those results. Uh, each of us are just going to take a moment and let you know what we've got out of this retreat so that you understand what it is we're doing when we're away and working on our strap plan. And Donna, the feedback I received after facilitating that was extraordinary. If more leaders were willing to let their guard down and be vulnerable in that way and just to embrace innovation in a really healthy way, we'd transform workplaces. So the final two pieces in this seven-part scenario is developing, uh, this number six, is developing our online leadership profile, recognising there's been a shift in the market from objectivity to subjectivity, which tags beautifully onto the piece we've just mentioned. More people want connection, and typically in larger-scale organisations, we've been so used to the legal framework that we operate in, we've padded everything with, uh, with we and they and third-party talk, but you and I know the organisations we work with right through to mega multi-million dollar or billion dollar companies is true success comes with human connection. So on an online framework, it's being comfortable in using blogs, making posts available through our LinkedIn network, Agreeing to do podcasting interviews just like you and I are doing now or expert interviews where we're pulling back the curtain on who we are so that people get a feel for us and they see the real person. And the final piece to the errors that I see some leaders making is that they forget to honour the people they're doing life with on the home front. If we can safeguard the integrity of relationships whether it's marriages or extended family or even fa even uh, children's step or blended families, if we can honour the role that we have to play as leaders in those in a more effective way, then we're going to be impacting the generations around us. It's deemed that more than 50% of the world's workforce will be under 35 within the next three years. That's a whole generation and for employees or executives or contractors that are 35 and over we're stepping into big sister big brother roles maybe even mums or dads or grandparent roles the under 35s are not looking for us to be the parents but there's a responsibility we have to gather around as a generation in the workforce as the alphabet generation and recognize that 
the way we were brought up as if we're over 35s is not the way that the under 35s have necessarily been brought up. So shift our thinking when we come into the workplace. In many instances, we're creating cultures of extended family. So look at that seriously around our family-friendly workplaces and our policies and what we can do to help uh, support the whole person when they're at work. Those seven keys are, are just great and I think the one big thing that, that I got from all of that was um, something that I've embraced as, as what we do uh, and that's acknowledgement of diversity. N yeah. Not so far as the traditional uh, accepted definition of diversity, which was originally gender diversity, but the mm. fact that we have even more diversity in the workplace than ever before. We've got um, uh, the gender diversity. We've got cultural diversity in Australia alone. You know, we've got um, employees that are, uh, are from subcontinent, from other areas of Asia, from the UK, from New Zealand, from uh, the Americas. So uh, all bringing with them their own different cultures and what's accepted as far as leadership is concerned. Mm. Uh, we've also got um, the different generations and each of those, as you clearly demonstrated, have their own um, way of leading and their way of learning. And I guess mm. what you're saying there is we're about to experience another shift and another change and diverse diversity regarding leadership because we're mm. going to see such a blended um, model of leadership you're now starting to see the the um the generations that grew up with technology coming in and and taking or um, moving further up in leadership roles and they are now having to contend with um you know um uh, people in their um, in their chain, where uh, you know they have different different styles, different values, different ways of leading and learning, and mm. it's a matter of finding a way that that blends all of those things together, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And statistically, there's evidence that that again, moving five ten years from now, that more than fifty percent of the workforce will in fact be consultancy-based mm. or mobile-based. And so there's a whole shift when it comes to how we work, how we engage, how we build our profile. And we get comfortable in Australia of having an individual profile without labelling someone as big-headed or however we might do it. This is the new enterprise. And if we are working with leaders in both startups, tech companies, and then we're working with leaders in traditional mainstream environments, whether it's service industry, mining and resources, government, finance, retail. We need to become comfortable with being agile. We need to become comfortable, in the words of a, a sign I saw on the wall of Australia's Facebook office in Sydney, we need to become comfortable in breaking things fast. The way we did business... It has evolved and continues to evolve. You and I both know in the space that we operate in and the research that we do that the rate of change has grown exponentially. And so equipping people with emotional intelligence in how to develop their soft skills, their technical skills, uh, their responses to situations, when we're 
when you've rightly identified, you know, we're, we're seeing a rise of leaders that have grown up completely with technology and technology has led to people developing their own abbreviated language yeah. where there may be individuals prone to being offended. There may be people who have been more inclined to be abrupt and speak in uh, acronyms that are not understood by a different generation, whether that's cultural or age-related or gender-related. So bridging the gap now more than ever will rely on how we lead our organisations from the point of agreed values, how we attract, engage and chant and retain the best-fitting people for the job, not just on competency but also strongly on values alignment. Because if we're leading these people through intense periods of change, if they have trust in the leader, they are more inclined to stay the course. And coming back to that intro piece that you shared around stopping the trafficking of leaders, I was alarmed to, to learn uh, in one not-for-profit sector alone, one out of every four leaders had left their leadership role due to burnout Two out of four were at risk of burnout, leaving one out of four operating effectively. That means that 25% of key leadership roles within the not-for-profit sector were running effectively, we'd lost good talent and were at risk of losing another 50%. So managing change responsibly with those boundaries, technology, clear focus on strategic direction, best people, Speaking up, managing reputation and safeguarding family, I think they're really vital issues to enhance productivity and innovation in the workplace. So, Taryn, we're quickly running out of time and, you know, you and I both know we could probably talk for hours. Um, just what are some quick tips or ideas that our listeners could immediately implement in their own businesses or uh, within their own personal leadership that might make them more productive? Yeah, certainly leverage whatever skills you've got available, Donna Hanson, because you are one of my trusted advisors and I love what you do. So I'd certainly point people towards your suite of services, number one, uh, because you've already established trust in the market there. The second is to encourage individuals to look at what they can do at a low cost point in a way that suits their learning style. So I would start with if you've not undertaken something uh, like a psychometric uh, work preference tool, I particularly love uh, TMS profiles, team management system profiles, use them extensively. If you haven't uh, ever undertaken one or it's been more than 12 months, I'd encourage you to contact me and let's have a conversation around it and why this is important is because this will help you match up how you like to work. I love the f philosophy of pe what people prefer, they spend more time on and become more proficient in as they perform their duties. So for an employer, it makes economic sense to ensure that we're developing or providing opportunity for our staff to undertake these tools. And if your employer is not in a position to do that, check out what your deductibility is with your accountant and maybe go ahead and organise one yourself. Do something along those lines through executive coaching or group coaching. 
look at the range of free resources, Donna, that are available. You and I love TED Talks. We could spend, you know, five minutes every day um, downloading a podcast or downloading an audio file and just make a decision. Make a decision. Are we going to be the best leader that we can be? And I also want to end with one, uh, one important piece, and that is to invite those people that are listening uh, today to consider if you've made a mistake or you've messed up in your leadership, you do have the opportunity to redeem yourself. <laughs> we are not the sum of our mistakes, but really we're the sum of every failure that we've had when we've stood up and we've gone, today we're going to make a better decision, we're going to pursue wisdom, we're going to look for ways to serve. I think that's one of the key things we can do as leaders, dust ourselves off and give ourselves permission to shine better tomorrow. Oh, wow. Well, Taryn, some great insights, and I'm sure many of our listeners, um, uh, you know, have never even thought about some of the things that we've discussed today. So thank you so much uh, for sharing your insights and, and wisdom. I've got no doubt some of our listeners might be interested in touching base with you to either get more information on the services you're off, you offer. How's the best way for them to contact you? Well, certainly we we have two websites that individuals can reach us through, whether it's through speaking, executive coaching or change management consulting. Individuals are welcome to contact me through corporatecinderella.com.au or my personal website, tarandeen, T-A-R-R-A-N-D-E-A-N-E.com. And there are links there that people can then click onto their favourite social media uh, tool or additionally book in a complimentary 30-minute phone call through our online calendar system and we can explore how we might want to work together in the future. So Donna, thanks so much for the opportunity to speak to your audience. I love it. Uh, highest respect for you and what you do. Thanks again for having me along today. Thank you so much, Taryn. And listeners, thank you for joining us for this Expert Insights CD. For more information on productivity, technology, strategy and training, visit the website, the three W's, donnahanson.com.au. Until next time, this is Donna Hanson, helping you work smarter and not harder with technology. Bye for now.